Greetings, troubled listeners, and welcome back to the Troubled Men podcast. I am Renee Komen, sitting in my safe house on the line with my co-host, the original troubled man for troubled times and future mayor of New Orleans, Mr. Manny Chevrolet. Welcome, Manny. Hey, buddy. How are hey, you, hey. buddy? You okay, buddy? I'm, I'm hanging in there. You you're know, doing uh, all right, buddy, because you're my buddy. <laughs> Remember that yeah. always, Renee. No matter how much I spite you, you're always okay. my buddy. Okay, Manny. Because you're my buddy. Yes, yes. We have been friends for a long time, Manny. I don't know about friends, but maybe buddies. We're buddies. Drinking buddies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 going way back. Writing partners and drinking buddies. There you go. That's how we got an agent, remember? We said That's that. That's right. To, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, I, exactly. I said that to what's her name 20 years ago and she says, "Are you are you a team?" And I said, <laughs> "No, we're uh, we're just uh, writing partners and drinking buddies." And she signed us right then. She did. She did. <laughs> well, uh, I uh, I was able to get a get vaccinated last last uh, week. Some big news for me. Really? How'd you do that? Well, it's for rabies, but you know, I'm just trying to work <laughs> my way up. <laughs> yeah. I figured, you know, if I if I could get in good with the with the vaccination people, you know, I could get a get a COVID vaccine. No, it was it was the COVID vaccine. Well, wow. you know. Uh, I was I was on a list for uh, musicians, like to to get some of the extras that they might have had, but uh, I'm not sure if that kicked in. But right at the same time, they changed the the state guidelines for to qualify, and uh, you know if you're if you're uh, like between 55 and 64 and have a pre-existing condition, which you know you and I both have uh, over 20 pack years of smoking. That's that's considered a pre-existing condition, so I, I would qualify anyway. But uh, but yeah, they they came up with a a dose for me on Wednesday last week. So uh, is it the one shot or the two shot thing? No, it's the Moderna. It's it's uh, two. I, I have another appointment in a month coming up. Well, uh, I, to I get just the second want to say it's been nice knowing you, Renee. Okay. I, well, yeah. I'm, I don't, I hope you don't turn into a mutant. Is basically what I'm saying because I think those Chinese. Those Chinese have it up their sleeve. Something's up their sleeve. Uh, well, we got to see what the mutation is, Manny, because it might be a beneficial mutation. I might be happy with it, you know? Yeah, well, I'm, uh, I, I, I get tested every two weeks at my job, and I'm fine, and I'm, I don't really care. I'm, I, I'm I want to be last in line to get this shot, basically. I, I really don't care okay. about this shot. Um, uh, so, but I'm glad you're happy. You, know, you're, you got a shot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I figure once, uh, you know, it may take a while. I mean, it's going to take a while to, to get rid of this uh, in the general population. But if you have a group of people who have all been vaccinated, fuck, man, you can go inside and do whatever you want. You know, it's like, you you know, you, you still have to be careful around people that haven't been vaccinated. But, you know, they'll have the uh, the, the people that have been vaccinated. You, you know, you, you don't have to worry. So, uh, you know, I'm. I'm happy. I'm happy about so, that. So, uh, did the rest of your family get vaccinated yet? No, no, no. Just me. Well, I mean, my parents, but uh, but but no, nobody else in the my my immediate nuclear family. But you know, it's uh, I'm the one who's most well. My kids are are out in school and stuff, so 
I don't know. They they may be some of the last to to get vaccinated. I'm imagining, you know, just the way things are going. Yeah, um, like I said, I've, I've said for many months now that I've I've never had a flu shot. I never got the flu, so I'm not right. worried about this whatsoever. You know, because okay, I, I, I I stay home. I don't do anything. I go out. Maybe I go to my job. I punch in. I punch out. I come home. And uh, like I've told you before. Uh, 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 vodka has been my vaccine for the last uh, year and a half, and sure, you know, I have three drinks a night, and I'm good. You know, <laughs> it's been working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been working. Big efficacy, time. right, right. Yeah, right. yeah. So. Well, you know, I, I noticed that uh, Orleans Parish they had an announcement that they were starting uh, uh, in in person learning again. Is that is that affecting your daughter? Is she back in the classroom now? You know, it's affecting her big time because she hates it. <laughs> so she <laughs> no. is back in the classroom. Yeah. Well, for two days a week. Okay. For two days, actually, she's enjoyed it very much. You know, but you know, she just had her sixteenth uh, birthday. Oh, and, congratulations! Uh, yeah, she. Um, and of course, um, like every birthday, we uh, in the past five years, she's she's made it a point to tell us how much we've disappointed her. Over the really? Last <laughs> so, of course, after for a few weeks after her birthday, me and my wife sleep in shifts. So, um, you know, because we, we don't want her coming into our room and stabbing us. So we, we've been sleeping in shifts. <laughs> we've been really? sleeping in shifts for the past, since her birthday, which we've done for the last five years. But she's a good kid. And, um, you know, I think we'll keep her for a while. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah. So uh, that's been going on. Uh, uh, I've uh, just doing what I do, and uh, I want to talk. There's a couple of things I wanted to talk about. Okay. Uh, um, you know, uh, NASA and in, in America mm. landed on Mars. Right. Did you see that? They landed. I did, on, I did see know, that. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, of course, um, I'm looking at the footage. And uh, it, it looks like, why'd you bother to go to Mars? What could be gained by going to Mars? I, I look at the movies and the footage and all that. There's nothing there. There's nothing there at all. I mean, uh, uh, it's your tax dollars at work, America. Going to Mars for what? And you see these technicians on the footage, and they're all high-fiving each other. Well, yeah, we just landed on Mars, you know, and what's going to happen with that? I have an idea. What's that? Why don't they turn the lights on in Texas? That might help. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. Why bother going to Mars? And didn't our, our, our fearful leader, uh, Trump, want to go back to the moon for some reason? He, he, you know, he was going to spend, and he wanted to have a space army. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> you know, what about a space navy? You know, did you ever think sure. of that? Yeah, sure. Yeah, he was full of good ideas. Well, you know, since you brought him up, there was one thing I wanted to clear off the books. One of the things he the last things he did, which I, I, I know you'd be interested in. So one of the last things is he made like a was an executive order or something where he established like a, a garden of a statuary garden at uh, Mount Rushmore. And okay. so it's a, it's a lot of uh, like a, a lot of statues in a garden, I guess. And so from great Americans. Now, one of those Americans 
One of those great Americans is Mr. Alex Trebek. He's got oh. a, a statue in the statuary garden of uh, Mount Rushmore. Now, uh, I, want, I don't know how Alex would feel about that, you know, him being yeah. from Canada and stuff like that. But right, right. This, you, know, you know, I've been to Route Rushmore, Rushmore, and it's not as big as you think it is when you go there. It's not, you know, you look at the photos and stuff, and you go, wow, I got to go see this. And you get there, it's like, eh, it's not that big. But So I don't know where this garden's going to be. It's going to be right below it in some pavilion or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, like like half of the stuff the guy uh, proposed, you know, it's probably not going to happen. I'm sure, you know, I don't know. We'll see. Well, but, uh, yeah, he, he's the same guy who said uh, we, we need bleach to cure COVID. Bleach. Everyone take their right. bleach. You know, right, right, uh, right. And now he's, you know, apparently uh, his... The Supreme Court told them that you know they had to release his tax forms and stuff and all that kind of yep. stuff. Yep, prosecutors have his taxes. Yep. Yeah, so we'll see what happens, but you know he he is what he is, and I, I'm glad he's gone. And and uh, yes, in some ways, in some ways, I'm very glad he's gone. But in other ways, the news is not as exciting and it's not as entertaining that now that he's yeah. not president. You know, have you noticed that? It seemed like yeah, I'm 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 happy. I'm I'm happy that uh, it's 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 definitely my blood pressure is, is has gone down watching the news. You know, I don't. I know, but I found him. I found him. The things that he did and said were so hilarious that now I'm kind of missing them in a way. It's like he actually huh. said that. You know, he actually made fun of a retarded person. He, you know, he did this all this kind of stuff. So. Uh, I'm glad he's gone, but yet I, I'm missing. I'm I'm missing the material. Okay, know? well, because uh, Biden's not giving Biden's not giving much material right now. No, we got we got plenty of uh, catastrophes in the world though. Without uh, without without making any up out of th- whole cloth though. Yeah. So listen, let me ask you something. They uh, uh, the city, our mayor has just. Uh, uh, Starting Friday, there'll be some more res- uh, restrictions lifted. Is that going to help you out as a, music- a musician? A musician? Um, yeah, I don't know. I haven't read the details of, of what her plans are. Um, I do have a, a gig coming up, a regular outdoor gig, you know, at the broadside we talked about, that great new venue right in your neighborhood. Oh, yeah, there, yeah. The, by the Broad Theater, so I'm... Doing a, a gig there, I think it's it's probably going to be a sellout on Sunday evening. So, so and who's uh, this know, with? That's with the iguanas. Oh, and so it'll be like our second live gig in a year. If people bring bring their AARP cards, they'll be able to get a discount. Um, I think it's going to be sold out. I don't think there's going to be any discounting uh, at the at the, at the door. Yeah, I think all the all the tickets are pretty much already uh, bought up. So what what is the, if it's sold out? What is the capacity if it's sold out? Uh, they they hold over a hundred people there. I know in in that uh, that outdoor venue. So I'm not sure what the total number is, but uh, I know that that we're close to a sellout at this point. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's always always nice to go play in front of people. You know, it's, uh, it's uh, instead of playing with yourself, right? Sure. Well, that's good too. But uh, <laughs> you know, and I wouldn't want to be in front of a lot of people for that. But uh, you know, everything's got its, its its time and place. So, uh, anything else going on with you? Um, yeah. Well, no. Uh, um, I heard that um, 
Lady Gaga had her dogs kidnapped. Did you hear about this? I heard that her dog walker was shot and the and the dog kidnapped. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I can't stand dog walkers or anyone who walks their dogs. I really can't stand them. But I, I'll say this: it wasn't me who shot the dog walker. Okay. It, it wasn't me. Uh, you know, these dog walkers they uh, they just think they're better than people. You know, they they come and they say hello to you and stuff like that. It's like I, I don't want to talk to you. Just move along with your dog, you know? You don't like the pleasantries as they uh, walk past your house? No, because I've had many dog walkers over the years put their dog shit in a little baggie in my trash can. And I've busted them many, yeah, I've busted them many times. I go, put in your own fucking trash can, man. Don't put it in my fucking trash can. And they get all offended that I say that. They, they say trash is trash. No, trash, that's your trash. That's your dog shit. That's your fucking trash. I don't want it in my trash can. I don't have a dog. I, you know, get it out. Yeah. So uh, I feel bad for Lady Gaga because I'm a big fan of Lady Gaga. You know? Sure. You know, yeah, I, I, I think Lady she's Gaga. great. Uh, but not for her dog walkers. I'm not a big fan of that. Or, or any dog okay. walkers. Yeah. Well, hopefully she gets the dogs back. I think there's like a ridiculous, like a five hundred thousand uh, dollar reward to for the return of the dog. So, yeah. And you know what's going to happen? They're going to they're going to send her the dog's ear as ransom. Okay. <laughs> well, it's, it's been done before. Yeah, exactly. With uh, uh, J. Paul Ketty's uh, grandson or son. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, they're going to send the dog's ear. They're going to sp- leave a special note and stuff like that. And uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, Lady Gaga, I'm a big fan. I hope you, you get your dogs back. And uh, uh, it is what it is. Okay. But let's get to our guest because he's really exciting to me. Uh, yes. I yes. Yeah, let's get to him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Manny, you know, I was thinking about what you just said there about, you know, I'm, I'm kind of, I take your side, you know, like telling the neighbors, hey, you know, don't put your dog poop in my in my trash can, maybe it was because you said fucking. Maybe that's why they were the same. <laughs> you know, maybe oh, yeah. I've, a, you know, uh, I've uh, lost a few votes by doing that. In fact, there was this one woman who said, you don't have to be so rude. Well, yes, I do have to be rude. <laughs> you don't know. Don't you know me? Yeah. yeah. Well, no. If I'm not rude, you're not going to get the message. Right. I, I just okay. have to, I just can't remember what you said. Did you say, don't put your fucking poop or did you say, don't put your poop in my fucking trash can? Like, I can't remember what, where the, where the F bomb was, but I think it was, I, don't put your fucking poop dog yeah. shit in my, can, in my trash can. Right. I'm with, like I said, I side with you, but I, you know, maybe, maybe these people are sensitive, you know, who knows? You know? Yeah. I don't know if you're, let's introduce this guy before we go any, go on yes, any longer. Yes, 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 yeah. yes. Right, right, right. <laughs> So our guest is a terrific guest. He's uh, he's originally from uh, Boston, but he lived in New Orleans for many years. He's a terrific drummer, singer, band leader. He's he's been the drummer with uh, G-Love and Special Sauce since the beginning of that band, one of the founding members of that band. Um, He uh, currently hosts the Atomic Cocktail Hour, which is his... his, uh, weekly or so uh, uh, interview show has a lot of drummers on he's currently living in nashville uh without further ado jeffrey the house man clemens welcome jeffrey <laughs> we like the big intro oh so yeah it's the big build up to the letdown uh, thank you for having me on uh, fellas it's a pleasure to be on the trouble man uh, podcast oh yeah uh 
But what I want to ask you, Jeffrey, yeah, before we get into your whole career and all that kind of stuff, stunning, uh, stunning uh, career. How old are you now? Oh, do I have to reveal my age? Actually, I don't care. But I'll, yeah, yeah. You're I'll, like uh, uh, forty-eight or something. I'm, like I'm fifty-six. Oh, it's the same age as us, ballpark. All right, yeah, yeah. Do you whatever happened to certs? Remember certs, those breath mints? I sure do. Whatever happened to them? You don't see them anymore. Well, you know, I traded. Really? I, I yeah. I once I once I got rid of my etch a sketch and my light bright. Uh, <laughs> my, my certs went along, uh, but certs were good. I liked certs. Yeah, and I remember the commercials were very like uh, uh, it was always between men and women. It was kind of very uh, sexual in a way. Yes, of course. Bad. And I was at the at the local Walgreens uh, uh, about a week or so ago, and I I, I didn't see certs. It's no, like, whatever happened to certs? I could picture the package round. Yeah, it had also. Yeah, I remember certs big time. And you peel away every time you want another cert. You peel away it, the. Exactly. The rapper. Can either oh, one of you yeah, for, yeah, the, yeah. for for the uh, for the to get to the bonus round? Can either one of you actually sing the light bright jingle? Light bright, making things with light bright, out of sight, making things with light bright, something like that. That's exactly what it is, man. <laughs> Pretty close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good. Yeah. All right, you owe me. You owe me eighty bucks now, Jeff. Okay. All right. I'll, pay, <laughs> I'll <laughs> PayPal you. I'll PayPal you. Okay. Right on. Right on. <laughs> so Jeffrey, so you're yes. from Boston. Um, you're a drummer. Uh, uh, when yeah. did you start playing drums? Is it something you did in school band, or uh, how did you get involved in the in the drums? Yeah, I'm glad you asked. So I have two older brothers. My oldest brother was a really terrific drummer when I was about a kid, like I was like eight, but he was like 17, and he had a band that actually rehearsed in our in our basement. So there was like live music in the house when I was a kid. And then my dad, who was not a musician, but he was obsessed with uh, jazz great Buddy Rich and took us to see Buddy Rich several times. Mm. And, uh, you know, when I got a little older, I, you know, I think I played trumpet in elementary school and I didn't play anything in junior high school. And then, uh, one day I just came home and hopped on, hopped on my brother's kit. I don't know. I just, I don't know what compelled me to do that, but that was when I was about 14. So. Okay. And, and did you, uh, start playing in bands at that time? Uh, not soon after that, uh, we put together a little, you know, like everybody does a little, you know, a bunch of, bunch of the fellas that I grew up with. We had enough guys to bass player and two guitar player guys. Uh, and we rehearsed it in my parents' basement and we were called the cherries, the ch like, you know, the fruit, the cherries. And, uh, mm -hmm. my mom was actually pretty lenient. Um, you know, my dad, my dad passed away the year after that. And, uh, when I was in the 10th grade, mm -hmm. but my mom allowed me to play, allowed the band to practice and even allowed the neighborhood kids over on Friday nights to like, you know, uh, do the, the, Smoke pot. Yeah. <laughs> Do that and, you know, and hang out. And we played, you know, this was 78, 79. So we were playing songs like, you know, 8675309 and maybe a Beatles cover, but not very good. And then remember that other one by Greg Kin? Uh, we had broken up for good just an hour before. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the kind of stuff we were playing. Maybe a Tom Petty song or a Cars song because the Cars debut came out right around 79. And they were right, from Boston, right? right? They yeah, were from Cars. Boston. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So that was kind of the, that's kind of, the, that was the start of it anyway. And how um, old are you when you do this band? I was 14, 15. Oh, wow. Gosh, that's great. That's fabulous. We weren't very good. Were you getting into punk rock at the same time as this? Were you? Were you? Uh, did you 
you listen to all those just a couple bands. years just a couple years later uh i was able to we were very fortunate because you know growing up in boston i swear i this i mean i'm, I'm i swear the ramones came to boston like it seemed like it seemed like they came every two weeks although they yeah. didn't exactly but they came through a lot because they even though they went a lot of other places, they did like the Northeast corridor, like between like they would do like Boston, New York, Philly, DC. It just seemed like they were always coming through. So yeah, we got to go see the Ramones a bunch of times and then all the indie bands and uh, Boston who had a very vibrant scene. But uh, yeah, even back as early as like 1980, I saw, you know, the talking heads and the Ramones and uh, nice. I didn't see Blondie, but yeah, you know, Boston was not far from New York, about 200 miles by car. So we saw, Whoever played in New York definitely played in Boston. You know what I mean? Right, right. Now, being in Boston, they have so many great music schools. Did you, uh, did you, after high school, did you wind up uh, going to college to to study music, or what went on there at that time? Yeah, I did not uh, study co- uh, music at at a college. I did take some drum lessons with uh, a, a guy that had a drum shop a few towns over. And then a few years later, I took lessons with his son, who was a really great drummer, even though he's like five, three or three or four years younger than me. And he's still like, I mean, he's just, now he's, you know, our age and he's just an um, Dave DiCenzo. But his dad talk, taught me, I took that, but I was already playing for like 15 years at that time before I even took any lessons. So, but they were important lessons. Uh, and that, that was also another sort of like stepping stone for me to actually, you know, really learn what I was doing, you know what I mean? But then you also studied with Alan Dawson, right? The great Alan Dawson, uh, drummer who played with, uh, you know, Dave Rubeck, Bill Evans. Uh, yeah, he played lots, with lots of those all, guys. Yeah, he was a uh, Alan Dawson was like he was a African American drummer and a he was always like if if someone came to town like Jackie Bayard or one of these jazz guys you're talking about and they needed a rhythm section, he was always first call. But he yeah he was a master jazz drummer and he also played the vibraphone he was a master he could play and, and anyway and he had he developed this like what they call a 72 rudiment ritual of drum hand-to-hand drum uh patterns that uh, a lot of guys know about and he also taught you know tony williams who's one of the most explosive jazz drummers ever and he taught sure yeah he taught, and he taught Davis band. yeah exactly and he taught steve smith who you know who's most famous for playing with journey but don't be fooled that guy is an unbelievable drum set drummer, you know? So, so that the, all the stuff that you, I mean, you don't do a, a lot of jazz playing, but you do have a very light touch on the kit and, uh, kind of an, an old school approach. In other words, you, you, uh, you don't really pound on the drums, which I love, you know, you have a, a light touch, you, the drums ring a lot. Um, is that, you, you, you think you got a lot of that from, from him or, or, um, I, I think it's a common, thank you for the compliment. Um, you know, my light touch is like one of my secret weapons and I do still, to this day, I still practice a half an hour of straight ahead jazz on the drum set before I do anything else. Like I, I play every day cause I have the time and the inclination and I still right. play to a lot of straight ahead stuff. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm definitely like an electric blues fan and played in a lot of electric blues ensembles and uh jazz straight ahead bebop hard bop is like just something i mean i'm not i'll never be the world's greatest drummer but yeah i everything i do that's the core of everything that i play and it just it does involve you know being able to play at 
you know, high, good, high, you know, fast speeds without a lot of volume. You know what I mean? So let me ask you something, Jeffrey. Yeah. Um, so this is, you're a teenager, you graduate high school. Uh, uh, what happens after that? Do you go to college? I did. It's not that exciting. I, I lived at home and went to junior college a few towns over. And, yeah. okay. and, and I worked in an upholstery shop part-time, but I was also playing like, um, like, you know, uh, casuals or GB gigs, we called them. And I, right. you guys general don't business. Know, yeah, general business. But you guys wouldn't know this, but if you looked in the Guinness Book of World Records, you would see that I played in the world's worst wedding and bar mitzvah band ever. Really? Now, how do they quantify that? <laughs> <laughs> you mean who was better or worse than us? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the scale that we're that we're measuring that by? <laughs> Well, I just take the my band that didn't get paid the most. No, this was not about monetizing. This was just about. I mean, trust me, Renee, we were terrible. Okay, well, I mean that's that's saying something because there's a lot of bad bands out there. But okay, Jeffrey. Yeah, we played in the Boston area. Uh, you wouldn't know the towns, but we're all a lot of the Jewish folks lived. We played weddings and bar mitzvahs, and uh, at synagogue, you know, at, in the halls of synagogues and other function halls. Uh, you can't stand Jews, is that right, Jeffrey? No, no, you, no you are Jewish, no. in fact. <laughs> yes, I, Never mind. I am. I was going to say it takes one to know one, but no, I, I, right, I, right, I, right. I, I love that I'm. I love my Jewish friends. I love Jewish culture. I love Jewish food. I love Jewish jokes. Well, today's Purim, so uh, happy Purim. Oh yes, it is Purim. Thank you, and happy Purim yes. back. I, uh, well, thank I, you. I, I, I love Jewish jokes uh, so so much. I could tell you one if you want, but I don't want to get sidetracked. Um, yeah, we were terrible. We, we, I played with this uh, accordion. He played like, you know, like Yiddish accordion, but he, he, he wasn't a terrible accordion player, but he was a terrible singer. And then we had this other nebbish, this guy, Howie something or other, who was like this aspiring cantor, but he wasn't really good enough. Uh-huh. And, and uh, we failed. I mean, we worked, but we were terrible. So how do you get in the Guinness Book? For how does that uh, happen? I'm I'm totally messing with you. We're not in the Guinness Book. But. Oh, okay. okay, all uh, right. See, we're we're gonna we're we're buying that. Well, yeah. but speaking of speaking of Jews in Boston, you you are crossing paths with Mark Sandman, the great Mark Sandman from Morphine before before any of y'all were in in big bands, right? You so there was there was kind of a scene there. I mean, of of guys that that weren't like. Uh, you know, in Berkeley, weren't trying to be, you know, the next bebop players, I mean, like kind of a, like a, a root scene, or, or talk about that. Yeah, Boston always had a very, very, very uh, prolific uh, indie rock and uh, other jazz and blues guys and all the all the all the styles. And uh, yeah, Boston had a great underground rock scene. And Sandman actually was famous before he before Morphine with his band Treat Right. Sure. Yeah. 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 But I okay. mean, did you you knew him before Trader Wright, right? Correct. I knew him right around that time, and actually, I tried okay. out for Morphine. I tried out for Morphine. I oh, was okay. not originally. Jerome Dupree was the drummer on the first few records, and Jerome, right? He something happened to him. He maybe he got ill, or something, he took sick, or had to take a leave. Right. And uh, before mm -hmm. they before Mark settled on Billy Conway, who was the drummer in Trader Wright, to take Jerome's place in Morphine, I kept calling Mark. And asking him for an audition in one time, one, he finally relented one time and let me come over to his loft in Cambridge, which isn't far from 
uh, Central and Harvard Square. I don't know how well you know Boston, but that was a great experience. And, you know, Sandman, everybody looked up to him in Boston. He, Morphine was such a cool and original band. You guys probably know, you know. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. We, well, we had, we had Dana on Dana Colley on not too long ago. And, uh, you know, we talked about all those days and everything, but I, I know that, that you, you were up in that scene. So I just wanted to ask you about that. So then you run into G love Garrett. I literally did. Tell us, tell us that story. Cause it's a, it's a good story of, uh, of, of you guys meeting. Yeah, so I was I had just I had played in this original rock band for about a couple of three or four years, and we were very serious about trying to get a record deal. You know, we would we were sort of like you know before the Red Hot Chili Peppers were famous when they were still kind of an underground band in their first few records, but fill, but able to fill clubs. Um, mm. We sort of modeled ourselves after that kind of thing, you know, like kind of like a funk punk you know, kind of bombastic anyway. And we, we, we right. did make it down to New York to showcase for some record labels and we did all that, but it failed in the end. And right after that, I was just, you know, kind of driving a cab and playing a couple of blues gigs and whatever I was doing and, you know, studying jazz with Alan Dawson and then trying to figure out my next move. I was probably about 27 or 28. And, uh, and I was, uh, I had was dating this girl from Belfast, Northern Ireland, who was, you know, Boston had a Boston and New York had a huge uh, contingency of, of Irish nationals. A lot of them left Ireland to because there wasn't any sure. money there anyway. And I ran into this gal, and she was working at this little uh, Irish bar called the Tam O'Shanter. And you know, I would go in there sometimes to maybe pick her up after work or. Like they served food, but then after like nine or 10 o'clock, it became like a music bar and six or seven nights a week, they had live music. So one night I went in there to pick her up or have a beer or something. And uh, it was a Sunday night. There was like six people in there. And uh, this kid gets up on stage and sits down and starts flapping his knees in a chair and playing a, an old Dobro guitar with a, you know, the hubcap thing in the middle and a, a harmonica on a rack. Right. And he was like 19 or 20 at, and he was, playing a million miles an hour and you know and I, I at first I heard it and I didn't I was around the corner like I was standing around the corner and I, I kind of heard it and as I heard like you know it's like kind of a Bob Dylan-y kind of sound and all of a sudden I was like what the hell and I looked around the corner and there's this like you know six foot I mean you can tell he was sitting down but he was just you know a beautiful looking kid a big you know just be he looked like right. James Dean he looked like James Dean you know right and I was just like what the what the hell I was like I know everybody on the Boston music scene who, who the fuck, who the hell is this kid, you know? Mm -hmm. So that, you know, I, he finished playing to like an empty house, but when he got done, I went over to chat with him and we talked for a couple of hours, I think, until he missed the last train. So I drove him back to where uh, he was staying, but, you know, we exchanged numbers and I was like, look, you know, I, I, think, we should, I think we should get together and I know a bunch of upright players because I was studying jazz and I was like, let's get upright bass and, uh, and we'll, we'll get together and that, that's kind of how it started. And that guy's name was Jeffrey Dahmer. What about Jeffrey Dahmer? Yes. <laughs> that guy, that piano player's name was Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> That's it. That's it. <laughs> what about that Irish, that Irish girl? Was that Sinbad O'Connor? <laughs> Sinbad. <laughs> That's it, Manny. You, you know the story. Well, I, I read this interview with, with uh, G Love uh, concerning that, and there was a great quote he had about it. He said, 
Yeah, Jeffrey said, well, you know, uh, uh, I, I kind of have a name around here. You know, I'd like to start a band with you, but all I'm going to do is play the drums. You have to do everything else. <laughs> I, I thought that sounds like Jeffrey. <laughs> you were, you were already, already jaded by, by that time. Like, fuck it, man. I'm, I'm not going to go do any work for this. If you want to make this happen, I'll, I'll be along with the, with you. But, uh, but he said, yeah, he went out and, and, you know, did all the flyers and did everything. And he said, yeah, Jeffrey's name did open some doors. But uh, you, you guys started as a two-piece band, and, and uh, then, then you, you got, found the bass player, and, and, and you guys cut your first record on OK, and right out the box, you guys have a giant hit with Cold Beverages. Um, that's all true. I mean, what you read was true. Sometimes, as you know, you can't believe everything you read, but whatever interview you read, that is a true story. I did say to G11, like, look, I'm not putting up any flyers and I'm not booking any gigs and I'm not doing any of that shit, but if you want to do it, I'll play, you know what I mean? So sure. Yeah, no, that's, that's a solid move, man. I respect that. Jeffrey, don't yeah. you think it's hard enough for the drummers in any band because they're the ones who have so much equipment and, and we, we've talked to many drummers on this show and they're the ones that uh, never get laid because they have to pack up so much equipment that by the time they're done packing their equipment, all the girls are with the bass players, the uh, guitar players and leads. That's why, and this is true from what I know, what I heard, that's why Lester Young switched from drums to tenor sax because he, because he wanted to get fucked. He wanted to fuck. Mm, yeah. Girls, girls yeah. like the tenor player. Come on. He's done quick. Yeah. Uh, I mean, a girl really has to be into the drummer to hang out and wait for him to pack up all his equipment before he shows her, her his equipment. You know right, and then, and then, like, if it, get, if it actually gets that far, you know, you, you know you're getting laid because if, if she's helping you carry your shit out to your car, you know you're in. You know. Exactly. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Exactly. That's, uh, that's, that's the, the Vodakovich rule there. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, so uh, so 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 you guys uh, have this, this this hit on your first record, and that's the the age of MTV. And I remember seeing uh, seeing you guys video on MTV all the time, and even made it on on Beavis and Butthead. And uh, there's an episode of Beavis and Butthead where they're roasting, they're watching you guys video, and and kind of roasting you guys a little bit. That must have been pretty cool, huh? Yeah, that's when I knew that we really made it when when Beavis and Butt had said that we sucked. And right. uh, and I and I think <laughs> I think they might have quipped like, "Who's this Elvis guy?" <laughs> you know. <Yeah. laughs> uh, but but the cold beverage video, I can tell you the first time I saw it on MTV, I was in a hotel room, I think like the you know, getting ready to check out and I was getting you know, getting out of the shower, packing my suitcase. And I think I if I think I was in Wichita of all places with MTV oh, on, on the hotel TV and sure enough, cold beverage came on. And uh it wasn't it did okay, I guess. I mean I maybe they didn't leave it on in rotation long enough because they, they took a much bigger shine to Beck than they did to G Love. But yeah, we got a little bit of mileage out of that and we were on Beavis and Butthead, which is a pretty high compliment, don't you think? Oh, oh absolutely. yeah. No, that yeah, yeah. So that sort of set it off. And let me just say about that, you know, we were signed to the OK label, as you mentioned, but OK was under the Sony umbrella. And Sony was a big, big, massive worldwide machine. They were like the mafia. They were like the mafia. Yeah. Like they once they signed us, they all the money was moving and then 
they, we, the record deal happened with the big budgets. And then what they did is they brought us to New York to showcase for their annual, what they do is they fly in all the department heads from all over the world, Paris, uh, Melbourne, or Sydney, Tokyo. They get all the worldwide guys, for the Sony guys from those places to come in and then they feature the new signings. And then what they do after that is they, they wine and dine everybody. They feed, Then we play a, a couple of songs at the showcase at, the, at like this event. And then after that, you know, a month or two later, they pick up the phone in New York and just like the mob, they start calling all these guys and going, hey, these guys are coming through, make sure they're taken care of. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I'm serious. <laughs> that's how it works. Yeah. And that's why we were able to play on, you know, play on like the play on the BBC on television. And like, you know, we showed up in London. It's like those it was those those guys were going to be handed their asses if they didn't do what they told the New York guys told them to do. And they told the New York guys told them, like, get them on TV, get them on the radio, get them here, get them there. It happened in Zurich. It happened in Sydney. It happened in Tokyo. It happened everywhere we went because of that, you know. So you guys played globally. You went to 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 everywhere that that Sony was selling records. Pretty much, you you name it, we played there. We did not play in South America. We did not play in Tel Aviv, uh, which was a disappointment. Although I have sure. been to Israel, but we, we we but we did play all the places I named, and we wouldn't just play like London. We would play all up and down the UK. We wouldn't just play Paris. We would play Rennes. We would play Lille. We would play Lyon. We would play Marseille. We played all up and down. Germany, all up and down Switzerland, all up and down France, all up and down, up and down, up and down, all all over the place. Not just Melbourne, not just Sydney, Adelaide, Perth, all everywhere you could think of. We went everywhere. Man. But but because these mob type guys forced all these people all over the world to 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 uh, say you got to play. Were the crowds good? Yeah, the crowds were great. In other words, like our first record, like Renee was saying, kind of had a vibe. We were kind of like what they call a buzz. At band and it did kind of catch a little fire and uh you know everybody in in these all the sony offices around the world that i mentioned they were doing they weren't they were just doing their jobs everybody was making money we were making money they were getting paid the new york sony was getting paid you know the more records everybody sold the more everybody got paid so they were happy to do it you know what i mean yeah right. okay. and you guys had a unique sound you know you guys were like an acoustic group primarily you know but but it was like live alternative hip-hop style you know where you had a ton of space it was kind of rappy type lyrics uh but you know it, it didn't sound like every other band it's it's it and it was so organic sounding it was very charming you know well thank you and that's true you know like it's hard to like like, you know, any one of us could cover, like, for, we, you know, I'm just going to, we already said the Cars, but like, you know, you could cover a Cars song, you could cover a, uh, you know, any, you could cover, anybody could play a cover, but it's hard to cover G-Love because nobody really sounds like that, you know, like who's going to, nobody can really, you know, it's not like any, it's not like someone couldn't, you know, rap, but like his guitar playing was like, he didn't play like someone that took guitar lessons, he played more like, right, a, like a, backwards like a, yeah that's <laughs> like mississippi hill country or some shit yeah it's like a cross between hill country like he was like a drunk john lee hooker that's how he played but it wasn't it wasn't yeah. a put on that was just as good that's just how as, as good as he could play right you know but it worked to our advantage you know now he was such a sex symbol uh when when you would go around all these foreign countries did you have like girls lining up in the lobby, like looking for G love or was that, uh, everywhere we went G everybody, every chick wanted to get backstage. 
Everybody wanted to meet this kid. I mean, in the early days, yeah, he looked like a like a candy bar with you know with the just. I mean, <laughs> he wore he was wearing. It's so funny. This is nineteen ninety four. It is not like he invented this style, but he was wearing like two piece polyester leisure suits with a big wide shirt, like the guys in the right. you know, mafia guys, and he would wear like you know white like you know white shoes with a buckle. leather shoes like or just like white <laughs> white shoes with a buckle and a, and a leisure suit and his hair pulled back like james i mean he he really was a piece of candy and the girls were right. flipping out you know well, well well you keep saying he was is he alive he's alive oh okay because you keep saying he was like this he was like this well, you know it's, it's almost it's almost 30 years down the line i'm oh, not sure. okay you know, oh, all have, right 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 he may have he may have his, his his ice cream cone may have melted a little you know oh okay <laughs> and what's he up to now yeah about the same you know he's uh we got sidelined like everybody else by covid but um he's uh He's uh, hustling some private gigs and he's actually doing some oil painting and trying to sell some of his paintings. Uh, you know, he's a hustler, you know, he's a real, he works, he's not, he's, he's a really hardworking, you know, dude. And like you guys, you know, tries to try to make a, not only stay out there and be relevant, but you know, he's got a family too. So he's got to provide for everybody. I, I would like to say one more thing before we move on. I don't want to be too yeah. chat, chatty, but like, I want to talk no, about the no, sound no, no. in a couple of sentences. I'd like to talk about what Renee brought up about our sound. So when I first saw, yeah, when I first saw him playing, he was playing in a, a dobro. I know you guys know what it is, but for those that are listening that don't know, it's a wooden acoustic guitar with a sound resonator that looks like a hubcap in the middle of it, kind of a blues style guitar. So he was playing that. We had the upright bass. Um, and then, but you know, Jim was just mostly playing through like a little polytone, like a jazz brunch amp. So it was super lo-fi. And that was right after I was studying with Alan Dawson. So I was playing like hip hop, but I was playing with brushes and I was mostly like pl- riding my snare drum and kick drum and not, not doing a lot of cymbaly, sizzly, bashy, cymbaly kind of stuff. So we had like, we had a sound from the very first rehearsal, which was like, it was all wooden tones. It wasn't an electric guitar with an electric bass and a pearl drum set. It was like old jazz drums wide open with an upright bass and a wooden guitar and a wooden bass and wooden drums. And everything sounded really organic, like Renee said. I just wanted to mention that. As the years passed, we got louder and louder. As the crowds grew bigger and we were playing bigger rooms, we, you know, G-Love got electric and then a bigger amp. And then Jim got like an Ampeg stack and I had to get bigger drums and cymbals. And it became an electric act, which I actually am sorry that it did, but that's kind of how it evolved, you know? Right. But, but a lot of space, you guys played with so much space, uh, you know, in, in the, the original formulation of the band, you know, that's, that's, uh, you know, can't, can't be overstated that the, the freshness of that, of somebody doing something that's, that has movement, has power, but you know, isn't, isn't beating you to death. Yeah, well, you know, as a musician, I don't know if Manny's a musician, but you know, the, I, I, you know, ideally, the less you play, the bigger you sound. Especially if you play like, you know, like sheds, pavilions, arenas. Like if you're playing like in big places, like Red Rocks, or you're opening for somebody at at, at a Madison Square Garden. Like if you play in a place like that, technically, the less you play, the bigger you sound. But I'm going to reveal something to you right now about the early part of our sound. We really couldn't. G Love and Jimmy. I was the best musician in the band. I'm not saying that I was good, but I was better than sure. them. They, they really couldn't play any better than what you heard. That's why there was the space, because we, we couldn't play any better than what you heard. 
Okay, well, you know, a lot of times, you know, musicians are, are as much defined by their limitations as their abilities. And sometimes, you know, having the, the, the right limitations are, it's, you know, can be very uh, fortunate. You know, I'm with you on that. It's like art. It's, you know, art is a lot of artists are DIY type people. And a lot, a lot of that comes from just, you know, uh, uh, as humans, we want to express ourselves and like, it just comes out how it comes out, whether you sculpt oil paint, play an instrument or whatever you do, like you express yourself in the best, in a way that you find a way to express yourself. And a lot of times it's, it's, it's pretty super homemade. You know what I mean? Right. Well, yeah. And that gives you that individual sound. I was going to say, this seems like a good time to take a break. Let's uh, go get another cocktail. We're going to take a break, nation. Yo. Could I get a cold beverage? I need some leverage. A sweaty ass as a lemonade will be nice. Stop a spice from the top to a VK. Got a bar crop of drinks, but girls got the bait on the front porch. Yeah, I got some ice tea. If you like a taste of tea, then come along with me. Summertime is steaming, don't give me no bugs. Glass some ice and a dash up from the S. Martini time. Yeah, yeah, feeling cold. And bring your own beverage. It's me, so it's cold. I like cold beverage, yeah. I like cold beverage, yeah. Please fix me a large slice. Summertime is cool, the heat is getting old. Yeah, I have a beverage, sweet, so it's cold. Cold, 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 cold. Something from the bar. Yeah, I like cold beverage, yeah. I like cold beverage, yeah. I like cold beverage, yeah. Uh, Cause I'm feeling kinda poison. Stick it in the fridge, stick it in the fridge, stick it in the fridge, stick it in the fridge. And we're back. Back with Mr. Manny Chevrolet. I am Renee Coman. Back with our guest, Mr. Jeffrey, the houseman, Clemens. Now, Jeffrey, this is a terrific product that uh, we've been associated with for a few months now. So, uh, Manny, why don't you tell Jeffrey all about this terrific product? Jeffrey, I'm going to tell you about the Velo Bar. Velo Bar. Velo Bar, Jeffrey. V-E-L-O-B-A-R, Velo Bar. This is a... um, it's a protein bar, but it has 25 milligrams of CBD per bar. Now, I don't know if you're into this kind of shit, but this CBD bar is the perfect dose to take the edge off whatever you're dealing with right now. Is it a, C, is it a THC bar? or, or No, it's a CBD bar. Okay. CBD, CBD I, I, and not THC. Those are coming later. But right now we have the CBD bar. It's a healthy protein bar that will fill you up and it will calm you down, Jeffrey. Oh. Who doesn't need stress relief right now? Anybody would want to be uh, stress-free, including me. Yeah. It's a plant-based protein bar made up of superfood ingredients like pumpkin seeds, hemp hearts, and chia seeds. And it could be a breakfast bar. It could be a bar after a workout, uh, a, a kind of bar after maybe working out in your garden. 
And it, it, it's an amazing bar. And it comes in two great flavors, uh, dark chocolate and peanut butter. I love the dark chocolate, and I do like the peanut butter, too. It, it's fabulous. And you know, Jeffrey, right now, right now, if you go to VeloBarCBD.com and make an order, you can get 15% off your order by using the Troubled Men 1-5 discount code. And shipping is free. Wow. Shipping is mm. free. But since you're a guest on the show, you get a goodie bag of uh, this Velo Bar. We're going to send it to you sometime next week. We're going to get your digits, and we're going to send you some free samples of this bar because you're a guest, and you're not getting paid to be on this show. So we'll, let's give you some stress re- relief bars right now. Well, thank you, man. There you go. I, I love uh, peanut butter and dark chocolate, and that sounds like a, a nice uh, uh, energy snack or relaxation snack. Yeah, I don't know if that. you're into that. I don't know if you're, you know, you're a rock star. You, you might still be doing coke or heroin or smoking <laughs> lots of pot. I have no idea what you're doing, but we're going to give you a free sample of the Velo Bar. And let's see if you like it or not. I don't know. Well, thank you for including right me. Uh, thank oh, you yeah. for including me. The, you know. Yeah, the, tr- the Troubled Nation knows all about this. And they know to go to VeloBarCBD.com to place an order. And to get 15% off their order, they go. Uh, they use a Troubled Men 1-5 discount code. Okay. And they get free shipping. So check it out, Nation. Right. It's a beautiful thing. As always on the Troubled Men Podcast, if you want to support the podcast directly, you can uh, jump on the show notes there. There's a PayPal link, and you can uh, you know go to the Cocktail Fund or just the regular support uh, link there and uh, you know support the podcast, support the, uh, the operating costs. So uh, anyway, back to our guest, Mr. Jeffrey Clemens. Now, Jeffrey, you had something to say. I was going to say, you know, Manny, I'm, I, you know, it pains me that you're troubled, but I hope that the Velo Bar and, you know, having, and talking about it on the podcast makes you feel less troubled. Yeah, at times it does. But, you know, uh, I love heroin. So heroin's that my thing. So that's the only thing that's going to calm me down. All right. Well, I don't do it. I don't do it anymore. I don't do it anymore unless someone's offers. Well, according to the Dandy Warhols, heroin is passe. But if you say that, you know, if you say that it's still in, then I'll take your word for it. You know, Dandy Warhols. I remember that band. Yeah, they were really good. Actually, one on my talk show, I had on the gal. There's one chick in that band, and she's really beautiful, and she's equally as nice as Zia McCabe from the Dandy. Yeah, Warhols. yeah. Where was where was that band from? Portland, Oregon. Yeah, that's right, Portland. Do you know that Portland has more strip bars than any other city per capita in the U.S.? Really? Do you know that? I didn't yeah. know that, but I can also tell you that Portland has a lot of tweakers and streetwalkers. It's a, it's a lot of it's a whole scene going on there, man. Yeah, I like Portland because they like to riot. A lot of riots going on in Portland. <laughs> There is. Now, actually, before we go any further, I'm on the PayPal website, and I would like to donate to the show. Can you guys tell me what the, what, were, uh, what the name of your uh, PayPal address is? PayPal.me slash Troubled Men Podcast is the, uh, is the PayPal address, and it's right there in the show notes or the uh, Facebook page. So while you're playing with G-Love, that's when I meet you. You moved to New Orleans. I and do. you actually live right here, kind of in the neighborhood. In fact, you you uh, get an apartment right across the street from Lusher School. And I meet you, and you start complaining to me about how 
the school makes too much noise because every morning they wake you up with the morning meeting. And <laughs> I thought it was so funny. They're like, well, you knew this was a school here, right? And you're like, yeah, but I mean, every morning? Anyway, that was... Well, that's that, all uh, true. I lived very, just a few streets up from you, except they had the morning meeting was outside over a loudspeaker. So, you know, yes, they got yes, everybody assembled yes, outside and they're talking over a loudspeaker, which is like blaring into my bedroom. And, you know, we keep odd hours. And, uh, um, right. and uh, it was deeply disturbing to me. I went over and spoke to the principal about it. I'm like, you guys are going to have to make another arrangement. You know what I mean? Not going to happen. They told you, no, you're going to have to make another arrangement. Yeah, not going to happen with Lester. Not going to happen yeah, with yeah. Lester. Yeah, they're right. still doing them. Anyway, so during that time, you, you become good friends with Keith Keller, who's a good friend of mine. Um, you, 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 you're, you've dug into New Orleans. You're hanging out at the, the Circle Bar where Manny's living. You're making the scene. And uh, somewhere along the lines, you start this rock steady band, 007. Yeah, so I, I, I did, I, I, you know, Keith Keller, uh, for those that don't know, have you spoken about him on other podcasts? Um, yeah, he's briefly, dead. Briefly. Yeah, yeah. But he, we spoke still about dead, him. Yes. He was, he's, a, he's a good guy. Oh, I loved Keith. He's so a great guy. Basically, yeah. uh, bef uh, we came to New Orleans to record our second record. Now, I know that Renee has a lot of uh, um, experience recording and playing with uh, a lot of Memphis uh, musicians, including Alex Chilton and Doug uh, um, from the Iguanas, who's uh, Garrison, yes, Garrison, and and others, and, and Alex Chilton, of course, and play, probably at Ardent Studios and other places in Memphis. So we, so basically, the second G Love record, we were trying to decide where we were going to record, and we took a little trip and visited uh, Sun Studios, and then we went down to New Orleans and checked out a couple of studios, and we ended up. Uh, we picked. We, we booked three weeks in New Orleans in 19, March of 1995. Uh, one week at Alan Toussaint's spot over on Clematis. One week at Keith Keller's at, on Annunciation, and one week at at, at, at Kingsway, uh, Lanois joint. And uh, right. that's when I met Keith. Uh, we met Keith when we went on that trip to look at studios, and then just and so yeah. Oh, needless okay. to say, Keith Keith seemed to take a shine to me, and that's how I kind of met. A lot of you guys, Alex McMurray and Alex Chilton and Renee and a lot of the guys that were uh, messing around over there, you know. Yes, Keith. Keith liked to. Uh, he, he was trying to set up like a salon for alpha males, is the way he used to to uh, <laughs> refer to it. You know, so, like uh, like the the old salon days where you you collect these people and uh, you give them an environment to to germinate in, and you see what happens. Yeah, he was really special, a uh, real character, and I'm really grateful for you and him and a lot of the people that hung out there. And, like, um, you know, that was a great time for us. So, anyway, but, you know, I, I moved. So, I, after that, I fell in love with New Orleans and uh, decided I was going to move there shortly after. And, you know, for the first five years that I lived there, I didn't do anything. I didn't play. I didn't have a playing situation in New Orleans. I was just mostly on the road a lot and I would just come home and whatever in between and make the scene like you said over at a uh, um you know the circle bar or the mermaid or one of those places and watch all you guys right. play and then I just got an itch you know I just was like well what am I going to do I'd like to have a playing situation here and um you know just around that time I started I don't know why I always thought I liked you know reggae music people mostly just know who Bob Marley is but really they don't know anything else about Jamaican music and I quite frankly i you know i knew 
some reggae artists, but I didn't really know that much about the history of Jamaican music. And I started going down to the Magic Bus, that record store in the quarter, and buying every Jamaican compilation that I could get my hands on. And it, but it, came, it became really apparent to me that I, that I was honing in on that period of Jamaican music that was before reggae that was called Rock Steady, which was in the middle, early to middle 60s. And I decided, okay. you know, I kind of like reggae, but I really don't. I actually, but I love Rock Steady, which was a little different, more of a dance music. Engine. Were you smoking a lot of pot at that time? Uh, I don't, th- I don't think so. Like I wasn't trying to be a Rastafarian, grow dreadlocks and sing with a fake Jamaican accent. If that's what you're asking me. <laughs> no, I just want to know if you're smoking a lot of pot. Oh, I, I don't, I don't think so. Okay. Yeah. Are you disappointed? But some, some, you're smoking some pot. I, th- I might've smoked some pot. Were you doing flaca? What about flaca? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Jeffrey's familiar with Flocka, but maybe we could uh, uh, turn him on to some. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I used to. Yeah, I used to hang around with Renee a lot. You know, Renee. I, yeah, <laughs> we. Sm- <laughs> come on, Jeffrey. Let's have another drink, Renee. It's it's twenty minutes to four. Yeah, come on. Let's just stop off on the way home and get one more. Man. Right, right. So anyway, you're 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 talking about 007. And, uh, right. So I I lived in New Orleans for five years, and all of a sudden I was like, man, I really would like to play some music. So I started buying all these Jamaican compilations, and stumbled into this thing where I was just digging on Toots and the Maytals and Desmond Decker and all the Rocksteady guys, and I just called right. Alex, who I had known from maybe over at Keith's, and I think I played on a Royal Finger Bowl record or two or something. And I was like, let's right. do this thing. So that was sort of the start of it without wasting too much time. And uh, he suggested Joe Cabral, who plays with you in the Iguanas. And I, I, I love to tell this story because I was like, he's like, let's get Joe Cabral to play bass. I'm like, wait, is the guy from the Iguanas? I'm like, he's like, yeah. I'm like, he's a saxophone player, right? He's like, yeah. I'm like, that's who you want to play bass? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, oh, if you say so, then then call Joe Cabral. So I had no idea that anyway. So Joe turned out to be, you know, really wonderful addition and beautiful musician. And and then John and Freilich just, I guess he just decided he was going to attach himself to it. But it, it, it turned out yeah. great, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah. So it was a, it was a, a popular band and, and you guys had a, had a, uh, had a, a great time here. But somehow New Orleans, uh, the shine wore off for you. And then even while that band is still happening, you kind of move on to Nashville. Now, what prompted you to move to Nashville? I always, I got flooded out in Katrina. I got flooded out in Katrina. That was sort of the, the catalyst. I, I had just bought my first house in New Orleans. I lived in the same house that you knew where I lived Ah. by the luster for the whole, the whole 10 years. I rented that one house on lower line street. And then about a month before that, I finally bought a house, you know, everybody was like, come on, man, buy a house. You can afford a house. Why don't you buy a house? And I was like, oh, house, house, mouse, mouse. So I closed on a house on August the 5th, 2005, and 24 days later, it flooded in Katrina. Oh, geez. I and that's the about same that. neighborhood? Oh, the same neighborhood? No, I bought a house over by the fairgrounds. Uh, so we, we, we all yeah, know that we I all know that neighborhood didn't flood. Well, we all know that the near side of the fairgrounds is Esplanade Avenue. The other side of the fairgrounds is DeSay Boulevard. Do you know that one? Yes. I, well, I live near the fairgrounds. Okay. So DeSay Boulevard on the other side of the, of the fairgrounds is where I bought a house, right near that, uh, right very close to that crazy five. Point intersection that near St. Bernard, St. Bernard right, right. and uh, Gentilly yeah. Boulevard. So some people call that mid city and some people call that Gentilly. I called it mid Tilly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. 
Well, you said you played for Royal Finger Bowl. I, I played on a couple of records. I, I, they needed me to play drums on a thing or two. Because that, Carlo wasn't there? He was there. I, I guess he was having trouble with something that needed a light touch. Renee was talking about my sort of light touch, and I guess it was He owed you money? Is that it? Yeah. He owed me money. He owed me money. I guess they, you know, they were looking for a little lighter touch on a couple of tunes, so I guessed it on on a couple of records. Oh, well, that's cool. Finger bowl record. Renee, did you play on the finger bowl at all? Um, well, yeah, I, I was. Uh, Keith and I produced that that uh, second record together. Gotcha. Um, okay. So I I I played a lot of uh, a lot of keys and other stuff on on that second record. Yeah. The, yeah. The, you, and you I love that track that you played on that that song, Blurry. I still love that track. It's a great track. Yeah. Yes. It's a great track. So 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 you got so you got flooded out though. That's that's crazy. So 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 then why Nashville? You just thought, well, there's a lot of musicians there. It's it's dry. They're not going to get hit by any hurricanes. I don't know. Um, I was getting really fed up with New Orleans, to be honest with you. Like I, I moved there in '95, but even in '99, I took a trip 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 up to Nashville in my car and spent a weekend. And I had a couple of friends here and look. I was just I was just kind of looking around, seeing if I could get a feel for the place you know like once you live in new orleans i mean you're from there but like once you live in new orleans it's hard to imagine being anywhere else because new orleans is so unique and 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 stuff and but you know i i didn't i didn't move there in 99 and then but i was starting to get annoyed you know at for various reasons and then the hurricane came and just like a divine intervention i never even moved into that house and just say i only owned it on paper so all i had you know it took me about 13 months to figure it out but uh I, I was able to sell the house. I sold it flooded. I sold it as is. It sat there for 13 months flooded, and then somebody bought it, and I was able to get all my money back and stuff like that. But, yeah, what I, what I learned from that experience is that if, you have a, if your house floods, you still have to pay the mortgage. The bank, you're not excused from your mortgage just because you can't live in it. You still have to make your mortgage. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Man, you are so smart to get out. If I could get out, I'd get out in a New York minute if I could. Really? Yeah. Oh, I can't stand this city. It sucks. Yeah. I, I, you know, I know we're getting off track here, but it even like, and I love to come back and visit, but I have to say That's I'm fine. really, I got really, really, really put, I, I got so put off a couple of times ago with all those like shysty, uh, that whole scam with the traffic cameras that's going on in that, in New Orleans. Oh yeah. Well, it's, it's, it, that's yeah, just the yeah, start. Yeah. I've been fighting one that's this week. Great. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So uh, I got one of those when I was visiting and I, I actually contested it. And I mean, what is, what a scam job. That's a story for another day, but let me just go back to, so yeah, I got, I, I anyway, I, we started 007, it, it, it turned out to be a really popular little band in New Orleans, you know, and it was just kind of an ac- happy accident, you know, because I was trying, you know, nobody needed my second line Johnny Vodakovich, uh, Willie Green drumming skills in New Orleans. There was certainly plenty of drummers in New Orleans playing quote unquote funk or whatever, and they certainly didn't need, need me there. But, you know, the Iguanas are so cool because you guys play all kinds of cool, like low rock and Tex-Mex kind of stuff and all kinds of cool stuff. And 007 was cool because we weren't playing anything that anybody else was playing in New Orleans, you know. And I really started the band just for my own enjoyment. I didn't know that it was going to be popular. And I'm really grateful that people came to our little gigs and supported the band. Um, But yeah, uh, beyond that, Renee, I got kind of put off and then Katrina came like a divine intervention and just fucking washed me right out of there, bro. And I knew for my career as a a pro drummer, I was like, well, maybe I can get in on on the session scene in Nashville. And I had a lot of friends here anyway, and that played in other touring bands. And 
Nashville was just seemed like the next obvious place for me to go. So I, I, I came here, you know, in 2000. So who were those friends? Uh, Stu Kimball from Bob Dylan's band, who I know from Boston. He was a rhythm guitar player in Bob Dylan's band. And uh, my friend uh, Pat Sansone that used to live in New Orleans from, he plays in Wilco. Okay. Yeah, uh, definitely. Yeah. And uh, I knew Auerbach a little bit, Dan Auerbach uh, from the Black Keys and uh, lots of others. I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. I just do a lot of side men that played in other touring acts. It's like Nashville is just one of those places where it's like, there's just a lot of musicians here. All the tour buses run out of here uh it's just you know it's just it's one of those places it's not cool and funky like new orleans but it does have some of the you know you guys have the brass bands and like all kinds of unbelievable you know you know roots and uh, like you know you know famous you know, you know piano players and like you know we all know what new orleans is famous for like old r&b and you know like you guys let me just say new orleans we all know has fats domino had ernie cato had you know everybody you can think of Lee Dorsey, the meters, and all you guys all the way up, but Professor long hair. Yes. Long hair. But no, 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 Nashville, you know, and I lived in new Orleans. I didn't know any of that stuff, but I sure learned about Snooks Eaglin and Earl King and, you know, uh, everything I needed to learn, I, you know, champion Jack Dupree and all the early records. Britney my- Spears. <laughs> yeah. She's from a ham, ham, ham and eggs, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I was I was thinking that like you showing up in Nashville, that had to be a, f- a breath of fresh air for those guys because they didn't have anybody that played like you in Nashville. Well, okay, so let me just say one sentence before that, and then I'll address what you just said. So, just like in New Orleans, I had ten years in New Orleans where I, you know, when I moved there, I couldn't, I wouldn't have been able to tell you, you know, Earl King from Earl Scheib, right. I could, but I learned about. I learned so much about New Orleans history, and New Orleans music, and then when I moved here, you know, I didn't know anything either. But I now I know who, like, you know, Hank Snow is, who Red Foley is, who Roy Acuff is. Like, I learned it's all- about time, Jeffrey. Jesus Christ, man. <laughs> holy so, moly! You know, I'm on my I'm on my spiritual journey, but it just seemed like the next sure. logical. Yeah, it just seemed like the next logical place for me to come. And let me say this, Renee. Just like in, they weren't looking for me in New Orleans to, to play, nobody was looking for me here either. There's thousands of musicians, a thousand deep on every instrument, and every guy's as good as the guy before or after you. Well, well, not you know. not to play a two-beat, but to play your style oh. is, is what I mean. That that when when you showed up with, with your approach, that had, that had to turn some heads and have people going, wow, well, that's cool. There's nobody here doing that. That's true in a way, and the the reason that I'm lucky is not because maybe you or other people like the way that I hit the drums. It's because I can sing, and not that I'm the greatest singer, but like if I was just a drummer, then I would have a lot less opportunities. But you know, like 007, I I, I wanted to sing those songs, and I thought I was capable of singing them, so I sang them. That gave me a lot more uh, opportunity as a to be a band leader. You know, and here I started my own trio with uh, uh, Kenny Vaughn, who's a really legendary guitar player, played with everybody. Right. And uh, yeah. he played with, you know, Lucinda Williams, and he plays with Marty Stewart. And, 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 I, and Dave Rowe is my bass player. He played with Johnny Cash for the last 15 years of Johnny's uh, touring career. And, like, he's probably 68 years old now. He's like an old rockabilly guy with tattoos. He's the real deal, you know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and, but he can also play electric and a lot of styles. Like, you, you can play a lot of styles. And, 
anyway, I, you know, Nashville's full of great musicians, but the, you know, the, so I, I was able to come here and sing, you know, I, I didn't come here to play rock. I, I started like a little roots combo here with Kenny and Dave and yeah, we play like some early rock and roll and we play uh, a little bit of rockabilly and some country, old country, whatever. And we just play a lot of different kind of cool stuff. And uh, because I can sing, I can kind of write my own ticket, but I got in with Auerbach, you know, Dan Auerbach is a multi Grammy, multi platinum rock star that uh, put together a recording studio here. And he produces tons of records all the time. He's produced like even, yeah, yeah he did Dr. John. He's done Lana Del Rey. He's done Ray LaMontagne. He's done Chrissy Hine from the pretenders. He's done, you know, all kind of records, you know? Right. And, and sometimes he puts me on sessions and those are A-list sessions. I mean, you know, that I'm sure. Really yeah. So, you know, this was just the next logical place for me to come. And uh, before I yap any further, I always tell people New Orleans had all the music, but no music business. Nashville has all the music business and all the, all the music, you know what I mean? Okay. Well, at that time there were a lot of, uh, non-country people, like a lot of alt-rock people moving to Nashville, like Jack White moved there. He has his whole operation there. You're meant, you know, Dan. Right. So there was, there was like a parallel scene, you know, to maybe because the business was there and there was a vacuum of non-country music stuff. People started going there and thinking, oh, okay, we have all these studios and the business. And so it was perfect timing for you, right? You're exactly right. And even in the last bunch of years, like I'm just going to rattle off a bunch of people that have made records here in the last bunch of years. Bob Seeger, um, you know, Cheryl Crow lives here. Jack White. I did coke with Bob Seeger once. You did? Yeah. Back in LA. Wow. Wow. That, that, do you want to tell that story? Uh, it's okay. Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> but like, like, you know, Stevie Nicks, Don Henley, uh, Bob Seeger. Let's go with him too. <laughs> okay. Steven Tyler, like a lot of like A-list kind of rockers come here to make record, have come here in the last bunch of years to make records, not to make like twangy country and Western hillbilly records, but to make some type of record that is something else different than, than other than what they usually make, you know, and Kid Rock's. Well, when you right. say that Nashville is the music business and New Orleans, you know, is it because New Orleans has such a bad rep for ripping people off? I, well, I, I mean, Nashville, to be honest with you, if this place didn't have the the history of country and Western music from back dating back to the like late forties and early fifties, this place wouldn't really be any more interesting than like Tulsa or Oklahoma city. It would just be one of those places you drive through and stop to get gas. But, yeah. but because of the recording studios and the, and the Roy a cuffs and the Hank snows and the Hank Williams and the Johnny Cashes and the, the, the grand old Opry and all that shit that happened here, it became one of those places. And then when Bob Dylan came here to record Nashville skyline in like 68, that really blew it wide open and made it cool for for rock and roll people to come here. And then like Graham Parsons and Neil Young and everybody else came here after Bob Dylan came here, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're going way back. Well, so, um, just to, we're, we're kind of getting near the, the end of the podcast here on the downslope, 
But uh, so, you know, you, you've had a, a great time there in Nashville. And, and uh, I, I know G Love and Special Sauce, just you guys just put out a record at the beginning of last year, right? So you guys are still an ongoing concern uh, outside of the, uh, the uh, COVID virus, rather. Um, yeah, well, he, he came here to make a record with Kebmo. You probably know who Kevin is, right? Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, and that record is is uh, it's Grammy nominated. Uh, it's for G Love's first Grammy nomination in the uh, contemporary blues category, and uh, so that's that was exciting. I mean, for what it's worth, and uh, yeah, man, absolutely. Uh, but I was going to say that uh, I'm I don't really see touring as we knew it coming back anytime soon because the type of venue that your band would play or the type of venue that I my band would play are either closed for good and lost their leases or there's probably nobody that's going to be standing shoulder to shoulder anytime soon so I don't really see anything happening anytime soon and if and when it does I I very well may be retired okay well yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I totally agree with you Jeffrey why get out there and get and 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 risk risk it um it's not so much the risk uh manny as i just feel like you know i had a really good run and i was able to you know sock away a, 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 you know a, an agnes yeah i got a good agnes yeah you know and 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 uh, uh just nest whatever egg. yeah yeah, yeah nest egg, and you know i like I, I i had a conversation with g love not too long ago that i would still like to have the opportunity to play some shows but I just don't see it happening anytime soon. And, you know, he, I don't think he's going to be able to incur the expense of flying everybody around and getting everybody a hotel room or, or leasing a tour bus and paying for all that. I just don't see how he's going to, how any bands that do that are going to make any money, you know, uh, even, you know, for you guys, Renee, you guys would have to fly somewhere and rent a van and get a bunch of hotel rooms. And it's like, I just don't know if the money's going to be there, you know? Yeah, I don't, I, I totally agree with you. I, I totally agree with you. Renee? I figure we play music. So we're going to continue to do that. And then we're going to see what that allows us to do. What, what uh, opportunities are there and we will take those opportunities and because we play music and you know, it's when you say you're retiring, that's cool to say now um, you will never stop playing the drums, Jeffrey. Yeah, so. Of course, of course. But uh, I just meant like touring. Nobody knows what's happening. Nobody knows what the future is going to hold. This is the most, uh, you know, uncertain time that we've ever faced in our in our lives. So certainly, uh, yeah, it's it's very difficult to make any predictions. But something you have been doing that you do have some some uh, agency over is you started this uh, uh, Atomic Cocktail Hour uh podcast if you will it's a it's a long form interview type show you do it on instagram live correct i do it's uh I, yeah i was and just you, you have uh you have like uh come closing in on 50 episodes i watched one last night it was very entertaining thank you last night was episode 53 i had done 49 okay. i had done 49 and i was trying to secure a really big guest for episode 50 and then that was going to be my swan song but i got corona, i got coronavirus i got covid in november Oh wow! So I was, I was playing on and producing an album for a young lady from Fayetteville, Arkansas, here in Nashville. She called me and uh, she's like, "I got a budget. Can you get me some musicians? I'd like to have pedal steel and up, you know, bass and blah blah blah." So we got, a, I got her a studio uh, and I got her some musicians, including myself. And anyway, she was exposed and didn't know it. And when she got here, she took every herself and everybody down. You know? Wow. 
in the studio. But you made it through safely. Yeah, well, I mean, we five out of there was nine people in the studio that was including musicians and and studio personnel, and five out including her. Five out of nine of us got coronavirus. Okay, that fucking bitch. <laughs> <laughs> she's the nicest. She's the sweetest. Per, she's the absolute nicest. She's so sweet, and she's yeah, no. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It sounds like, yeah, the way you're saying that. Yeah. She sounds very great. She's really great. And I, I know when you say that. Yeah. Anyway, no, she really is. And anyway, I know you're cracking a joke, but, uh, uh, that aside, uh, yeah, uh, we, we, a bunch of us got sick and, uh, I didn't have to go to the hospital. I didn't have a fever or the respiratory bit or, or, or anything like that. I mostly had just really shitty flu like symptoms that put me down for about a week. And then once those all went away, I lost my appetite and my sense of taste and smell for a week. And I don't know if that's happened to you guys or if you guys have had coronavirus, but it had the, no, taste, no, no. Well, yeah. the taste and smell thing. You don't notice it at first. Like it happens so gradually that you don't even realize it for like a day and a half. You're like, wait a second. I don't taste anything. Wait a second. I can't smell anything you know, like we're all cognizant of like food in the kitchen or body function in the bathroom and stuff like that. And you re- like, it doesn't, the bulb, the light bulb doesn't go off at first because it's so gradual that it starts to disappear. It's not black and white. It's very gradual. And then after about five days, it starts to come back, but it's also very gradual. So you start to sense like, oh, I'm eating, cra- I'm eating a cracker that's salty. I can kind of tense, t- sense the salt, but I can't taste anything and then you're like oh i'm eating a cookie i i sent sugar but i can't taste or anything you know so you know crazy, food man. is so crazy food, you know, so any any type of odor wh- whether it's food or the smell of gasoline or the smell of sex or the smell of anything is so visceral that like you don't you you can't believe not having that function you know what i mean i'm sorry jeffrey what did you say <laughs> yeah yeah no um well, uh, well, I was going to ask you um, if uh, you know you have any 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 final crazy story that that uh, you know about all of your professional you know touring or guests that you've had on the Atomic Cocktail Hour or I don't know you have some final uh, crazy uh, idea for the for the Troubleman podcast. Sure. Well, uh, you know, uh, so, uh, I, I did have some pretty great guests on my Atomic Cocktail Hour. And uh, when I do some more shows, Renee, I would like to also invite you on as a guest. My biggest oh, guest what? was probably John Oates from Hall & Oates. Um, John Oates lives okay. here in Nashville. He keeps a place here. And he's he's so, you know, he doesn't have to come on my show, that guy's like, you know, 10 top 10 singles, you know, 10 top 10 albums, grant multiple Grammys, uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. He, you know, he doesn't have sure. to come on my show. So it was very nice of him to come on my show. And But I've had on like, you know, uh, Steve Gorman, the drummer from the Black Crows. And I've had on uh, Luther Dickinson, who you probably know. And uh, Sure, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, lots of lots of nice folks have come on the show, uh, and yeah, I, I, you asked me to, uh, about uh, a couple of G Love stories. There's a, there's a couple of really uh, uh, funny ones that come to mind. Uh, like I'll tell you a really uh-huh. short one, and then maybe another short one. Uh, the time we were playing, the only time we ever played on David Letterman mm-hmm. uh, uh, in 1997, uh, we had uh, that night uh, we were going to have a guest on piano. To, uh, it was, it was uh, Mac Mac Rebenack was coming on to play with us, right? Dr. And John, yes. Dr. John. So uh, we get to the, you know, we're in New York and we get to, they want us there at whatever time call time is. Uh, 
you have to be there several hours in advance and then you wait around for them to call you. And then when you go to the stage, you run the song about three or four times so they can get all the camera ink blocking and everything they need and the audio and make sure everything's straight. And uh, G Love was doing something that day. He was running around New York with his manager. He had to be some, whatever the deal was. And he showed up late and uh, you know, they were starting to get angry. Everybody, all, all the producers are looking at their watches and they're like, where the fuck is this guy? And they're asking me and Jimmy, the bass player, and we're shrugging our shoulders like, Hey man, you know, I don't know. I'm not in charge. I'm here. That's all I could tell you, you know, and he shows up, right. he shows up and, Ma- and Dr. John's there too. And, you know, John, we all know Dr. Max, like a veteran in the biz. And, you know, even though he's cool and everything like, so he finally G love shows up and they rush him in and they rush him on up on stage. We're all waiting and a uh, quick hello. And then Garrett, Garrett says something like to Dr. John, he says something like, Hey Mac, I'm, you know, I'm sorry. I'm late. That's cool. Right. And Max like, nah, man, that ain't cool. no it's not cool i've been waiting for you asshole yeah exactly like you can say everything you want about mac revenac and like i've read his autobiography at least twice and he's had quite he had had quite a wild life but uh he wasn't late for, for network television you know what i mean sure no no i like that that's uh yes the show must go on yeah, the show must go on. So I guess we could leave it at that. That that's kind of a funny little story and a little New Orleans tie-in for you guys, you know. Right on. Thank right on. you, man. Thank you, Jeffrey. You you you're a great person. Oh great man, guy. he is. He is. He is. He's a real mensch. Thank you. Know, you. I'll never talk to you again in my life, but I'm ho- I'm glad I talked to you. You today. will because I'm gonna. You know, I, I was. I was. I was after I left. You know, in 20, 2005, I, I I've been coming back to New Orleans to play with 007. Usually about once or twice a year, at least once, and but obviously not since COVID. But you and me, Renee, we'll get together. We'll we'll have a couple cocktails and. Uh, hey Jeffrey, speaking of 007, do you want to hear my Sean Connery impersonation? Oh yeah, hopefully yes. it's got a couple of. Okay. Sean Connery. Yeah. Okay. No, Jeffrey, ask me, Mr. Connery, do you want to go to Spain? Mr. Connery, do you want to go to Spain? Yes. It didn't get any better than that, Jeffrey. I, 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 I thought you would at least say, like, Spain? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, that was so, a great yeah. one, man. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Jeffrey. It's uh, It's been a long time coming. Well, as always, uh, Jeffrey, in the Troubled Men podcast, we like to say, trouble never ends, but the struggle continues. Good night. Cooling out, cooling out with a former lady. The special sauce, that's why she's my baby My baby, my baby, and of course I'll do anything for her Anything she wants to show her, honey, show her Got a short mouth, a short tongue Give me, give me, give me some, I don't take the day Give me, give me none You got to work and deserve it Earn it to own it Then what you got, say never ever gonna leave it alone Don't take what's cracking or forget and never been stood up your she does the stuff that my baby got sauce Your baby ain't sweet like mine She got sauce Your baby ain't sweet like mine She got sauce Your baby ain't sweet like mine Nah, she ain't that sweet What else a funky lemonade you got growing Baby, is it special for me? Did you make it today? Cause I always stand by if you like me too 
Yeah, I'll do anything this you could ever want for me to do A kiss for summer, this a smile and it's done Miss, I'm your mister, my sister's your sister My mother's your mother, father's your father It all started when I kissed her, I missed her dick It was love at first sight, yo, do better when it started I ain't broken hearted, but babe I need some time, some time alone with the crew Yeah, to do the stupid things that we used to do Upon this, she slapped me with the fire pan Y'all, this is love, not gonna leave it My baby got sauce, your baby ain't sweet like mine Your baby ain't sweet like mine Your baby ain't sweet like mine, nah, she ain't that sweet, see Baby, what I would do for just one look in my direction I gave you all I have, but then you still act mad You don't give me no attention My baby got sauce, and of course, as a matter of course She does what she wants to, cause she's the boy Don't tell my friends about the situation Cause like they think I'm on some extended vacation Cause I don't get out to see my boys anymore Only time I leave the house is to go into the store for some more What she want? What she want me for? What could she want this time? Think I'm a worse I know she ain't even mine, ain't even mine Believe me, what she doing like? Yo, I don't know, but baby, I could guess it ain't right Cause she got me waiting constantly And trying not to raise my voice Negotiating it I confess it I'm broke like show when the argument I shouldn't have even started it I'm broken hearted I can't be part of y'all I need a team So I count my loss Dick My baby got sauce Your baby ain't sweet like mine She got sauce Your baby ain't sweet like my mine baby got sauce Your baby ain't sweet like mine. She got sauce, she got sauce, she got sauce. Your baby ain't sweet like mine. Ain't so sweet like mine. Ain't so sweet like mine. Ain't so sweet like mine. She ain't so sweet, eh? She got it.